0: Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Decision Hour. I'm your host, Adam Bird. This show is about philanthropy, entrepreneurship, positive thinking, and humanity, a show that'll help you make the decision when that hour is upon you. Our guests share some of their experience, expertise, and stories during their decision hour. You get to hear what they're doing today and how it might help you in the near future. My guest today is the same way, doing some great things in the community. I'm going to bring him on here in just a few minutes. But first off, I want to give a huge thanks to Heroes Media Group and all the great shows and sponsors of the network. To learn more about Heroes Media Group or how you can become a part of the HMG family, simply go to www.heroesmediagroup.com. Folks, I got a very exciting guest uh, with me today. I'm honored to speak with this gentleman. Um, He's done, like I said, great things in the community today. I have uh, Dr. Paul Davis is on the phone with me today. He's, he's quite an accomplished uh, having received his PhD from the University of Maryland uh, College of Human Performance. Uh, Dr. Davis is a former firefighter paramedic and an expert on the subject of physical fitness and employment standards uh, in the public safety sector. Um, his groundbreaking research was the basis uh, for the creation of the Firefighter Combat Challenge, which I'm looking forward to talk about today. Uh, he's also added a new twist for military, something called the Battle Challenge. So let's bring him on. Dr. Davis, are you there?
1: I am here. Thank you. Uh,
0: great for uh, appreciate you coming on the show with us today. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, Adam, I, uh, I have a, a rather interesting or diverse background in that— um, I kind of cut my teeth in emergency medicine as one of the first uh, graduating licensed paramedics in the state of Maryland and uh, served in Montgomery County, Maryland for 13 years uh, as a firefighter paramedic. And uh, my last position prior to taking uh, the invitation to come to the University of Maryland was at the fire training academy where I was uh, Uh, getting all of our career personnel certified as EMTs, and I also taught uh, the heavy rescue class. And um, upon arriving at the University of Maryland, one of the uh, first projects was to secure uh, a grant, a research grant from the predecessor of FEMA, which at that time was the National Fire Prevention and Control Administration. And uh, that study, essentially launched uh, my career, and as you said, uh, was the uh, stimulus for developing the Scott Firefighter Combat Challenge, which just completed its 25th season. Holy cow. And then uh, along the way, uh, after, uh, after leaving university, I formed a, a research consulting occupational health group called Institute of Human Performance, and we were funded by the Navy Medical R&D Command to look at the physical performance requirements for the Marine Corps' mos 0311 which is your, your basic rifleman. Right. And under that contract, I spent uh, a part of the five years as an embed, kind of like a uh, a Lance Corporal in an infantry battalion, and we and our team gathered objective information as to the... Essential functions of Marines in four different combat environments: that was high altitude, cold weather, desert operations, uh, jungle survival, and amphibious ops. So we had a pretty good handle on what would be the fitness requirements to be a United States Marine. So that's kind of my background in a nutshell.
0: All right. Well, let's let's jump right into that then. I, I was going to back up, but I, I want to since we're on that topic with the with the Marines. Um, now, when you when you say you were embedded, as kind of like the Lance Corporal. I mean, you're in there. Are you are you carrying a rifle? Or are you are you you're doing the same exercises? Yeah, we, you're on patrol. We, I mean, exactly, what exactly, exactly is? I it? mean,
1: we're not guys with la- you know white lab coats and clipboards. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because that wouldn't look strange
0: on the battlefield at all, folks. I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, the the interesting thing in that was, and I and I will make. Um, no representations that I have anything approaching the experience of my son, who served uh, two tours as a combat marine in Iraq. But, uh, you know, at the time we were at peace and there wasn't any gunfire going on. But, you know, I, I basically was humping my M16. I had, um, you know, my camis and my, you know, my my uh, vest and my helmet, which at that time, by the way, we were in steel pots, but, uh, you know, whatever (laughs) the Marines did, we did, and wherever they went, we went, so if we were on landing craft or in helicopters or whatever, I mean, it was just integrated into the team, but our mission was to uh, capture objective data about the environment and the loads and all that sort of stuff
0: so i i and again, I'm trying to picture this in my mind, so you're doing everything that they're doing, and then I'm assuming at like the end of the at the end of the day, you're jotting down notes of this is what we did today with this amount of weight in this type of uh, of equipment and in wearing this type of gear. This is how I'm feeling I mean, are you asking the other marines questions we had
1: recorders and we had cameras and we had scales so we could. You know, objectively define what would be the caloric cost, and and what, you know what were our observations about the nature of the tasks that Marines, uh, you know, are are expected to to do in those kinds of environments.
0: Doctor David, how long was that study? How long did you have to do that study?
1: Well, we had we had four years uh, where we were essentially in, immersed in an environment, uh, and then the fifth year where we we essentially took all this information, and it was very clear that the most arduous theater in which to operate is high altitude and cold weather, and that's that's simply because the loads are so heavy and the train is so difficult, and the metabolic costs are so high. So our deal is we want to know what's the worst case scenario, and that would be having to fight you know, and, and and at the time, by the way, the Marines had essentially responsibility. You know, we were very, very much concerned about the Soviets and the big right flank. And so, uh, you know, the Marines appropriately were conditioning uh, their battalions and providing specialized training up at the Mountain Warfare Training Center in Bridgeport, California. And uh, so there that, that was a plethora of, of valuable information. and. Just about all your equations for load carriage, or whatever, goes out the window when you start talking about operating up at nine thousand feet with loads, you know, in excess of a hundred pounds. That's that's a pretty tough day's work.
0: Yeah, and the air is a little thinner up there too, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, interestingly, Adam. Um, you know, each time you'd come out, I mean, you had an order from the commandant that you know to support these guys, but. Um, you know these marines would look askance of a bunch of pointy-headed academicians and not wanting to have these guys you know appended to their fire team or whatever and so um one of the first experiences when we went up to bridgeport the first time uh we there were 11 of us uh, uh, medical doctors and physiologists that were uh, out there to to gather data, and so they distributed this across the battalion. And I was assigned to the super squad. There was about 20 Marines, and they the last thing they wanted was some lackey, you know, offending <laughs> themselves and getting in the way. And um, we got on this uh, deuce and a half; it's an all-wheel drive uh, truck, and they drove this thing up the mountain until it got stuck. And that that was the criteria for when we we're going to put on our snowshoes and start humping. And so, I mean, we got these Alice packs that, you know, weigh probably 60 pounds or so. And you get your snowshoes and all that crap. So anyway, these Marines start humping and I thought, my gosh, these guys can hump. And it was a (laughs) deliberate attempt to lose us. (laughs) But but every time they turn around, it was like Butch Cassidy in the Sundance case. Like, who are these guys? Because we weren't going anywhere but where they were going. And so after about an hour, I mean, the sweats poured off everybody. And it was, who are you guys, and uh, how can you do that? Because you know, I was probably fifteen years older than, you know, most of these Marines at that time. So, we made our bona fides, and after <laughs> that, it, there was no more issues.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> well, Doctor Davis, I want to take it a step back. I want I want to take kind of a uh, kind of a, a step back in the past a little bit. When you first got started. Uh, the show is called the Decision Hour, and mm-hmm. that we, you know, I I uh, interpret that as a time where your your feet are on that line, and it's time for you to make that decision. Tell us about when you made the decision to focus on the conditioning and the fitness uh, in the public sector. Uh
1: well, I uh, I I wouldn't say it was sort of on the road to to uh, you know. Tar, um, tarsus or whatever, in the sense that there's a blinding, you know, light, uh, uh that creates some sort of sea state change. But was
0: well, this uh, something that you've, always, that you've always thought about doing, like getting in the health field and the fitness and, and
1: well, doing what I, you okay, do today? So I, I guess, um, I had, um, I had some mentors, um, very good friend of mine was a, a chair of the physical education department who, um, uh pro- provided for me a lot of uh stimulation in that he he was a questioning kind of guy and he was he was 14 years my senior very fit and uh I think I owe a lot to him because he sort of got me launched in this interest and it was all about the time when uh, Ken Cooper had uh put his first book out called Aerobics And I had then decided I'd I'd, I'd like to know, you know, it actually was uh, kind of a combination of my interest in emergency medicine and then seeing it was sort of the high tide line of the number of myocardial infarctions, heart attacks that were taking place, so much so in Montgomery County that it was one of the first regional medical programs to try to intervene on heart attacks outside of the hospital. And I knew that, uh, you know, fitness was an important part of this equation. I mean, prophylactically, you know, the more fit you are, the less likelihood you're probably gonna have a, a, a you know, a cardiac event.
2: Right.
1: So um, I uh, I I not I didn't have any, you know, heart disease in, in the family that prompted me, but we had the, the first heart mobile. So all of us paramedics in training were running these calls and it we had a uh, it was a <laughs> it was a uh, remodeled uh, bakery truck <laughs> that was turned into a miniature uh, ICU and uh, I started seeing you know the the sort of the characteristic of these people who were having heart attacks was they were clearly not very fit and when you also would look at the incidence of morbidity, mortality in the fire service and realizing that we lose more firefighters to heart related problems than we do to any other cause. Uh, all of this stuff began to gel in my mind. And in essence, the fire service is really a microcosm of society. And so, um, the the, the notion that this was a disease of choice, that these are conditions that uh, can be preventable, uh, all, all of these various thoughts began to uh, gel in my own mind and thinking about interventionary strategies that we could do to create a more vibrant, healthy, and safe workforce.
0: All right. I want to, uh, I want to switch gears again here. Because I've, I've I've been reading uh, up on your, uh, you you created something called the firefighter challenge, and yes. and the battle now, now you also have something now for the for the military called the uh, battle challenge if I'm not mistaken yes can yes. you t- tell us about that and can you tell uh, when you're talking about it tell us about the science behind all of that how did that how did this all come into fruition
1: well. Um, the, the, uh, the natural extension of our 25 years with the fire service um, made easy um, the transfer of knowledge um, into a military environment and coupled with my experience and that of others um, and I have a fairly wide circle of prior and current military uh, personnel who have made significant contributions to this, but um, the idea was that uh, we could uh, capture and reproduce a lot of the essential functions that are indigenous to the entire military community, meaning everybody who is going to be in any one of the services is gonna go through basic training. And what I like is, the high fidelity of of um, simulated combat or uh, combat-related activities that we can put together in a side-by-side, head-to-head type of competition, and then throw in a shooting equation where clearly fatigue has a deleterious effect on marksmanship, Right. and thus we have the challenge. And so um, we did... Um, a couple of dress rehearsals, and then we did proof of concept at Camp Lejeune, or excuse me, Camp Pendleton, and then at um, uh, Yuma Marine Corps Air Station and Shepard Air Force Base. We did all those um, uh, last year. And so um, now 2017, we're ready for the launch. We are gonna be doing the uh, best warrior competition, which is a part of the South Carolina National Guard uh, competition. So we will have one of the elements that will be used. I might also add, um, for three years, I produced uh, programming for uh, ESPN and Discovery out of uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, and they run an annual Best Ranger competition. Yes, they do. Now, that's 60 continuous hours of movement with no pro- program sleep. Um, <laughs> and, and that is, uh, and as a cameraman on that project, I can tell you it, it's hard enough on the camera guys, much less you know these poor guys that are out there <laughs> humping the rucks and doing all the other stuff they do for you know, sixty continuous hours. But anyway, the idea is, can we essentially coalesce into a little snapshot uh, and add the camaraderie, the team building, and the kind of the self-diagnosis um, in in a, in a you know, sport environment. And that's basically what we have now with the Battle Challenge. And um, so we will be for four days at Fort Jackson uh, starting at the end of this month, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And the first couple days are dedicated to elements of the National Guard. And then the uh, Command Sergeant Major has extended invitations to uh, all the other services. So we've got uh, airmen, we've got sailors, Marines, and soldiers that are going to be coming over. And then he's also extended to uh, uh, the cadets at the Citadel and all of the public safety elements inside the state of South Carolina. So uh, the battle challenge is kind of a fire maneuver, run and gun, uh, central functions representation, and it starts with a sprint uh, down the runway into a cargo net. And what's fascinating is that... um, people think climbing a cargo net is somehow easy. <laughs> and it's really like getting stuck in flypaper. Yeah, yeah. uh, <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, and you, you only have to climb 10 feet. Yeah. And, and and parenthetically, I will tell you, um, one of my uh, exercises, uh, with the Marines, we did an amphibious op out in Hawaii in the aftermath of a hurricane. And I was on a, um, uh, Mike 8 boat, which is a little landing craft, and we were to bring a beach party of Marines off the side of a combat car- uh, cargo ship in these 15 foot swells on a cargo net. And I will tell you, that's a very dicey kind of situation. I was certain we were going to see somebody get a traumatic amputation. But anyway, so you go up the cargo net, <laughs> transition across, come down a knotted rope. You got to get over a seven foot wall. Uh, you have a run of monkey bars, you got a low crawl. Um, and then you have a jerry can shuffle. These are uh, you know, your five-gallon cans right. that each weigh 45 pounds. You have five of those. you got to move around these 155 rounds, stack them on the other side, uh, go through a window, and then pick up. Um, we have an a, um, M4, which has been modified, where the firing pin is now a laser, and it has a propane tank so that each trigger pull you, you get a nice report pretty much like an M16. Oh, nice. And you, you have a target. Um, these are sensors about with the about 50-cent size sensors on them, and there are 10 of those, and you have to double-tap that target, go back through the window, do a prone uh, shot, and the barrel cannot extend beyond the mouse hole uh, because that would give away your tactical situation. The uh, weapon's left unsafe. You race uh, back towards where the cargo net is, pick up... 175 pound man down, drag him about 75 feet, and the uh, that that will stop the clock. So <clears throat> it's um it's a good all out solid two minutes of you know phys- physical activity. And this is all. this
0: is you you this is the, the you're tying the battle challenge for this, yes? Yes. And this is yes. the one that's going to be done. You said at the end of this month at, yep. down in, in Fort Jackson. Was that what? Or,
1: Yeah, at Fort Jackson, right. We start on the 28th and the 20th, 29th, 30th, and 31st. So we expect uh, we probably will process well over 1,000 GIs uh, during that time period.
0: I, I as a vet myself, you know, I spent uh, nine years in, in the uh, Army National Guard, and I, I'm, you know, I've been out for a while. I'm thinking, you got to bring this to the public. I mean, when when can I sign up to do this? This sounds like a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I I tell you, it is fascinating, um, and um, we would love to to do that. Um, you know, we're not like. Uh, a Tough Mudder or whatever, where you can turn, you know, 15,000 people loose. Um, we have, uh, you know, this course set up with the object of pretty much going through all the biomechanics, you know, all the essential functions, everything that you were essentially expected to do, you know, coming out of basic, and then throwing the rifle in there. And um, we, you know, we we have standardized this to the point where now, you know, there's gonna be the bragging rights. And uh I I think that the Uber all challenge championship is gonna result in a made for T V show perhaps at the courtyard of the Pentagon. So, you know, all the services can, you know, put the muster out <laughs> and you know, their best team show up for this kind of competition.
0: That but would be awesome.
1: I'll tell you, uh when when we were at Pendleton, uh and and um, and these Marines are all, all about getting some. It's pretty hilarious. But uh, I, I was talking to, you know, two Lance corporals, and I said, how'd you all guys like to run this with your uh, gas masks on? Oh, they were all about that. So they asked the first sergeant, can we, you know, we're, can we go get our gas masks? And they were back at it. But um, anyway, um, the nice thing about the battle challenge is we can manipulate this so that it can be used for training, essentially, you know, other than tactically going through, but getting over the wall with a low profile, you know, all these sort of things that you might expect to be doing in combat. But for right now, it's just um, how fast can you complete the course with the accuracy, you know, the marksmanship component.
0: You know, you're talking about these battle challenges for the military and stuff like that, and, and, you know, lately, the last couple years, obviously there's been been a big uh, controversy about – you know, in, incorporating uh, women in more combat roles and, and, uh, and whatnot, like with the infantry and stuff like that. And, and I'm, I'm right. not, I'm not necessarily against it, uh, or anything like that, but do you have stats on like the physicality between men and women and, or, yeah. or even different races, A yeah. uh, uh, different, and is one demographic group better than, than another, just well, simply because? Yeah. You
1: know, I've had over the, you know, over the years we've, done all sorts of comparative studies and we've looked at performance of women on the same sort of tasks. And um, I, what, I, what I'd what i like to do is to clarify for your listeners yeah. the difference. When you're talking about in combat, um, anybody who's in the theater of operation, as we know, essentially can be subject to violence. Right. Um, you know, we've, we've seen... Guys sitting at their desk in, in the green zone in Iraq and having been assassinated by uh, you know some, some you know some third party whatever. So um, combat in 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 how we look at it right now has changed very dramatically from where we had you know big offensive campaigns or whatever. I think what people do need to understand is there is for a very good reason a military occupational specialty um that comprises direct offensive action. And those are in your infantry, your armor, your artillery, and your engineers. These these guys, these are the people who are charged with, you know, seeking and destroying. There's a there's a big difference than just riding you know, riding shotgun on a motor T, you know, in, in that kind of an environment. Yeah. And uh, so we want, we want to make that very clear. We're not, and we're not in any way denigrating or making comments about um, bravery or heroism or whatever. But when you talk about the combat arms, um, my recommendations to the Marine Corps after our study was that we needed to raise the standards for the 0311. There were too many Marines, and at that time there wasn't even any consideration for putting women in these billets. We have way too many Marines who are simply too small and are not functioning as, uh, you know, what I consider to be up to par. And that was very much in evidence when you get up at high altitude. And what we do know and, and what we tend to violate physiologically is the percentage of body weight that one carries in that combat operation. And so, when you're talking about uh, discrimination, and there's nothing wrong with discrimination because it implies that you're making a rational decision based on empirical data and, and not, you know, somebody's subjective idea, but the the ideal infantry uh, marine should be at least 150 pounds, and there's not going to be very many women uh, who who are going to be able to, you know, who are going to be able to keep up. And the Marines have a very rigorous and necessary standard for their infantry officers' school. And I think the, the latest count, there were 30 win, 31 female Marines who have attempted that class. Not one of them has passed.
2: Right.
1: So, um, yeah, I, I just, it's it's uh, physiologically not a very good idea to, to try to put women into these combat arms. The study that the Marines did, which was about 34 to 36 million dollars, and similar study we did for a half a million bucks, uh, agreed and said that it's when you have these co-ed units, their performance goes down, and the incidence of injuries are way up. In fact, if OSHA had any oversight, they'd shut it down as just simply being too dangerous. So I think what you're going to see with this new uh, administration is a return to the mission, which is about... You know, breaking stuff and killing people. I mean, to be quite frankly, right? You know, yep. what we're all about. And this social engineering that has gone on has essentially um, detracted us from what we ought to be focusing on. Is, as uh, General Mattis said, a more lethal force. I mean, I, I, there's no more gentle way to say that. No, and you I you, you really, it's like take the,
0: the politics system. out and and let's do what what's right. And do what's yeah. going to get the job done, basically. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I, I agree. I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I mean, I'm the, and, and again, I, and, I, and I've stated this before in the show, uh, those of you that have listened to me before, when we, we've talked about this issue, about women in the military and, and, and women in, in certain combat roles, I have no problem. If you meet the standard, yeah. more, more power to you. Lord knows, it, especially now, I, I, there's a lot of things I can't do. You know, and if you go out there and you, and you do it and you beat the guy and you meet that standard, hats off to you. You you know, you get it. Yeah. All All respect. All, all respect. Well, what
1: happens, you know, Adam, is what, what I've seen over my years, uh, which are considerable in terms of, uh, doing, uh, designing physical standards, uh, for these arduous jobs. And what, what happens is that when you have a realistic job related standard and it excludes women, then suddenly there's something wrong with the standard. And, um, uh, I'll give you an example. I had a contract with the city of Alexandria, Virginia, for a number of years, and they said, we, wanna, we, we would like to see women firefighters. I said, okay. Well, we didn't have any women who were, gonna pa- who were passing the standard at the time, and, uh, and so the test became suspect. So uh, there's something wrong with this test because it won't pass women. The, the Army's own data uh, shows that when you look at incoming recruits, and you look at the high aerobic and strength requirements um, that you will see about three and a half percent of the incoming women can meet those requirements. Um, and that you know that is that is discriminatory, but it is not illegally so. Meaning that there is a job-related requirement, and when you're talking about the consequences of failure, they're quite egregious. And i like to use a sports analogy, um, and that is there's a pretty good reason why we don't see any women in the NFL and never will. Um, And it's interesting because there's really no – the only outcome is winning a football game. But when you're talking about the military, the consequences of loss are people going to get injured or killed. And I I just find it so interesting that we seemingly in, in the public safety sector are so focused on the minimum requirement. And, uh, I, I testified in one of the seminal cases on this subject in Philadelphia and and the judge and I had a very interesting discussion and I used the analogy of what I call the rivet theory. And that is who wants to fly in the airplane, the rivets of which minimally hold the wing on. Um, and do we want to see how close we can get to that breaking point when in fact, there's no reason to do so. I mean, we have, um, no shortage of applicants uh, as it exists right now for combat arms in in the services. And it's the same thing follows with uh, law enforcement and with the fire departments, that um, there is a, a huge quantity of uh, otherwise qualified individuals who we could hire from the top and never even get into the issue of how low we have to go in our race to the bottom to somehow accommodate uh, you
0: know our hiring practices. Doc, I want to uh I want to change uh, change gears just a little bit again here. I want to talk about uh you have an event coming up uh at the Lucas Oil uh, Stadium. And yes. I under, I understand it's one of the one of your patent uh firefighter challenges. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's correct. Yep. Uh is that,
0: now is that for for all um uh, is is that for, for anybody are all uh, uniformed across across the country, or, or can yeah we can actually in that?
1: our uh, rules allow you know, any any first responder? Okay. So it could be a law enforcement officer as well.
0: Okay, and, and is that can they, can uh, a law enforcement officer or a firefighter first responder? Can they can they uh, can they compete in more than, than one of these a year?
1: Yeah, yeah, we we'll have uh, perhaps up to twenty events across the United States this year.
0: And is, is that something that the public can come out and witness? I mean, is there, is there a way, like, let's say one of our listeners right now is like, Oh, that, that'd be a cool event to go check out and, and watch. Is there, is there, is that something that they could purchase tickets to, to, to go see or, or?
1: Well, it's actually, it's open to the public and we have uh, you know, pretty good sized bleacher bank up there. So it's, you know, first come first serve in terms, in terms of seating. But, um, I, um, I think this is maybe our I don't know, maybe a 7th year I can't remember exactly how many years in a row this is coincidental with the fire department instructors conference which is uh, put on by Penwell and um <clears throat> it's the largest um trade show of its type in North America I mean they claim about 30,000 attendees and um we will be there uh April um uh, Let's see. It's 27, 28, and 29, and it's um, it's on the parking lot at the Lucas Oil Stadium. You you know, won't have any problem. You won't have any problem hearing the noise. Uh, parking is available, but not exactly on site. Okay. I mean, the the parking lot that uh, usually would accompany football games are completely covered with all kinds of exhibits.
0: Awesome. We'll make sure we get that uh, that out on the on the uh, on the wire here because that's something I think that we're looking at coming out to attend uh, uh, this year. I think that'd be something I I definitely want to uh, to check that out. I'd love to check out one of these battle challenges as well. I just think that would be <laughs> so much fun to get back into the swing of things. Yeah, we're gonna. Like ha- oh, you
1: that's know, interestingly, uh, I mean, we haven't even had this thing happen yet, and North Carolina National Guard basically is wanting this thing to come to their state. And uh, we have uh, an event at um, Cherry Point uh, Marine Corps Air Station, and quite possibly, I-, I think the event for Camp Lejeune is looking pretty good associated with that um, uh, modern day Marine show. And then um, we have an expression of interest to Fort Gordon. We were signed the contract to return to Camp Pendleton. Um, so uh, I could see in fairly short order, uh, you know, this thing's kind of sweeping the country for all the guard units when, when they hold these, you know, their, their competition. So
0: Outstanding. I love it. Doug, we're running short of time here, and I, and I know, uh, again, I appreciate the time that you've spent with us today. Any parting words before we let you go?
1: Well, I, uh, I would like to point out that the the firefighter event will culminate in the world championship we have 20 events in europe and those people will be advancing coming to louisville the last full week of october and you can watch that on espn three um that that will be broadcast uh simul, you know will be streamed live uh, from that venue so you know the more the merrier
0: Outstanding, Doc, we appreciate your time today. Thank you, Adam. All righty. Folks, that's all the time I have today. Special thanks to Dr. Davis for coming on the show today. Uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes or Podbean, uh, leave a comment. To let me know what you thought of the show. Um, and big special thanks to Heroes Media Group. Make sure you check out all the shows and sponsors on their network. Go to www.heroesmediagroup.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Decision Hour. Ooh.
3: Yeah